Well, I know you're wondering, is he really going to preach? <laughs> Have you ever heard of a five-minute sermon? Me either. <laughs> well, this will, this will be brief. We have one other thing we want to do tonight uh, following the message, and we want to commission our mission team that is leaving for Haiti this week, and we'll share more about that with you in just a moment. Also, we have a young lady that will be going to Swaziland this summer, and we're going to commission her as well. Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. And this is actually a verse that I read this morning, and I want to pick it up again. The title of this evening's message is The Secret of Surrender. The Secret of Surrender. In Matthew 13, there are a series of analogies, comparisons, descriptions of the kingdom of God. And this is one of them. In verse 44, Matthew 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. When I was young, we lived in the Philippines in the 1960s during the Vietnam era. And I remember even as a boy when we would get newspaper accounts and we would hear about men, Japanese soldiers who had lived in isolation for years, not knowing the war was over, would step out of the jungle and surrender. One of those men who came out of the jungle after we had moved away from the Philippines was Hiro Onoda. Hiro Onoda he was a Japanese guerrilla fighter. He was 23 years old when the war ended in 1945. And he was on one of the islands in the Philippines at Lubang Airfield, and he was given orders by his commanding officer, Major Takahashi, to control that airfield area with guerrilla action. And so year after year, Hiro and two of his friends did exactly that. One of those men lived until 1954, and then he died. Another one lived in 1972, and then he died, and Hero was by himself. Whenever he would get news reports or see evidence in newspapers that the war had ended and that he was a free man, he didn't believe it. He wouldn't accept it. Finally, a journalist um, by the name of Norio Suzuki found him, tracked him down, had heard about this man living in the jungles around this airfield. He went on a mission to locate Hero and convince him that the war was over and that he could go home. Hero wouldn't listen to him. He had his orders, and it was clear to Suzuki the only way that Hero would leave was if he had new orders. So the government of Japan did exactly that. A military superior came and read to him his new orders, and he quit fighting on March 9th, 1974, almost 30 years after the war was over. Some of us are afraid to surrender like that. We're afraid to surrender to God. I don't know why that is for you. I don't know why there are those moments in our walk where we are hesitant to say yes to God. 
And then we read biographies and we read historical accounts of Christians that did amazing things. They clearly had surrendered themselves to God. And they, had, they made these great apparent sacrifices as we read their stories. Very briefly in this passage of Scripture, Jesus explains to us the secret of surrender. Full surrender to God will involve, first, seeing treasure when others only see dirt. Seeing treasure when others will only see dirt. The Bible talks about treasure hidden in a field. And this man's heart was stirred with excitement because he found something of great value. It was a treasure. In that day and time, there weren't banks to hold your valuables. There weren't safety deposit bank, uh, boxes. And so if you had something of value, you had to go bury it somewhere on your property. Marauding bands and enemy combatants would sometimes overrun whole regions of a country. And if you were the unfortunate farmer whose land was overrun, they might kill you and ask questions later. And no one would know about that buried treasure. And most likely, that's the kind of scenario that unfolds here. This man's walking through a field. His foot stubs his toe into something, and he looks down, and it's a box. He opens it up, and it's a buried treasure. And he finds it. He sees it. It says, which a man found. Not a group of people, but an individual. Full surrender to God can only be done on a personal and an individual level. Your grandfather can't do it for you. Your mom and dad can't do it for you. Only you and a personal discovery of God can bring you to a place of full surrender. He saw treasure when others only saw dirt. But full surrender will also involve, secondly, abandoning my inadequacy to gain his abundance. Abandoning my inadequacy to gain his abundance. It says he goes and sells all that he has. Everything goes. Nothing is held in reserve. And the message here is very clear. You can't keep what you have and have the treasure of the kingdom of God at the same time. And everything has to go. It won't cost you more than you have, but it will cost everything that you have. Have you ever heard the expression in when people talk or teach about discipleship that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to count the cost? And implied in that statement is that following Christ comes at great cost, that you've got to give up, surrender, and sacrifice, endure suffering and hurtful experiences in order to follow him. But is that really what count the cost means? I want to call your attention to a passage of Scripture. You may just want to jot it down. The words will be on the screen. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. And I'm going to read down to verse 33. Jesus says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross is a reminder of imminent death, separation from this life, and an imminent entry into the next life. And when he says take up your cross, he's saying always be ready to leave. Hold on to everything loosely on this side of heaven because this isn't your home and you can't keep anything that you're grasping here. And then he says in verse 28, here it comes. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? That's where counting the cost comes from. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So what's the point? You sit down, you look at what it's going to cost to build this tower, you look at the materials, do I have the resources to do it? I don't. The message is this, don't even start. Give it up. Abandon the project. Verse 31, or what king when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. What's the point? He should abandon the effort to defend himself. He should, he should give it up. He doesn't have what's necessary to defeat the superior army. Abandon the effort. And then Jesus concludes in verse 33. So then, none of you, he's making the point, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Just like the builder gives up the effort, just like the military king gives up the effort to fight, you and I should come to a place where we realize that our resources are absolutely inadequate for life, inadequate for joy, inadequate for significance and meaning, and give it up. This is what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed is the man who is poor in spirit, who has a poverty of spirit, a constant sense of neediness. A.W. Tozer refers to this as the blessing of possessing nothing. Some years ago, I sat down with a guy who wasn't quite living on the streets of Little Rock, but almost, and I bought his lunch. And I sat down across from him, and we talked, and I shared Christ with him. He had nothing. He was living in a rat trap apartment. He had a job that barely paid enough to cover his bills that didn't cover, cover his bills. And I shared Christ with him. He had, he had fought authority his whole life. He had resisted working in jobs that paid better because he didn't like people telling him what to do. He didn't like being under someone else. He wanted to be his own man. And he had nothing. And I shared Christ with him. And I said, here's what you got to do. You got to come and lay down your life and trust him. And he said this, and I'm serious. He said, it's too much to give up. It's too much to give up. He understood that following Christ ultimately involves full surrender. And then thirdly, full surrender will also involve acting out of delight instead of duty. Acting out of delight instead of duty. Look at those words, and from joy over it. It explains the motivation for the sale. It explains why he was able to give up everything. What was he motivated by? Duty? No. It says in joy for joy over it. Notice that word joy. It stresses the cause, the basis of the action. Look at the phrase over it. Something is creating that joy. It's the treasure. Some of us take pleasure in church music and social relationships. We take pleasure in the sense of contribution or purpose afforded to me by the church. We take pleasure in the intellectual stimulation of sermons, maybe, and in Bible study. But you'll never attain full surrender like that. 
until we find our joy in him. John Calvin is best known for a two-volume work called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And it's very much a warm-hearted, evangelical piece of writing. And whatever comes to mind when you think of John Calvin is the consequence of people that interpreted John Calvin, but probably had little to do with John Calvin. Listen to what he wrote. This is in Volume 1, Chapter 2, Section 1. He says, For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, they will never yield him willing service. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. Unless you find all your happiness in him, you'll never fully surrender. A man booked a passage on a ship with just enough money to buy a ticket and a supply of cheese and crackers for the long voyage. So he's in his room day after day eating cheese and crackers. And the crackers get old after a while for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And outside of his cabin, porters are pushing trays by loaded with steaks and chicken and lobster and things that smell really good. And finally, he can't handle it anymore. He says to the porter, please, I'll do anything. I'll wash dishes. I'll scrub the deck. I'll do anything I can if I can just have one of those steaks. And the porter said, show me your ticket. The man showed it to him. He said, this food comes with the ticket. Some of us are cheese and cracker Christians. Some of us have the greatest thing living inside of us, the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, and we poke along with our cheese and crackers. We need something more. And when you and I discover the something more, full surrender is a byproduct. It comes with the package. We realize that I'll never sacrifice anything ever again. I'll never lose anything ever again. Because in Christ, I have it all. I have it all. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We're going to have a time of response. And I wonder what's in your mind, what you are afraid will happen if you fully surrender to the Lord. And I could talk to you a long time about giving up something for Him. I could coax you into a place where you make that decision to give something up that you know He wants you to let go of. But until you find your happiness in Him, until you see the beauty of your Savior, I can get you to give up stuff maybe, 
but you won't surrender. You won't surrender. I believe that full surrender is where the Lord is wanting to take each one of us in our lives. Wherever you are in your journey, He wants to bring you to a place where you fully, completely, totally abandon yourself to His leadership and to His care. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. They'll share scriptures with you about how a person becomes a Christian. And you can read it for yourself. And they'll counsel you and guide you through a process where tonight your sins can be forgiven. And you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ that is eternal and life-changing. And so when we stand and sing, I invite you to slip out of the pew and come talk to one of these pastors. You may just need to bow your head right where you're standing in just a moment. And just say, Lord, I want to know you like that. Father, I'm tired of settling for second best and for little things. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to reveal yourself to me through your word. To me, that I can see your beauty and power and your perfection. And that you're worth more than anything I could ever think about in this life. And if you're carrying a burden tonight, it's Jesus' heart that you would deliver that burden to him. This house, he said, should be a house of prayer and a place where you can unburden yourself. And if you just need one of us to pray with you or you need to come and kneel at the altar and pray, if that will help you, please do that as we respond to him.